You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Good morning, this is Annie for Showreel, and today we're going to look at a couple of filmmakers and their films that are screening at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, which starts tonight at the Nova and uh, it's been showing films throughout the uh, month of July online and as I said it's got a theatrical release of films tonight starting at Nova going till the end of the month and today we're going to talk to Craig Miller first up about his film Cuba My Soul so let's hear from Craig Miller first. Well Cuba Cuba My Soul. Soul. It's a, it's a uh, it's a fabulous look at um, Cuban music. Can you tell me how you got involved in this? Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, like, you know, I'm a percussionist. I've, I've travelled to Cuba first time was probably 20 years ago. So you know, I love Cuban music and um, everything. You know, Cuba's great fun. Um, so I went and had lessons there and made friends. And uh, you know, really, I just uh, well, I wanted to go back and be able to hang out with these guys and, and you know, do more of it, really, I think is the, the truth. So I just, uh, I'd been working on an iPhone app for many years, um, putting a lot of effort into it, and it was going nowhere. Um, and, you know, I'd come to the realisation that this app that it had to stop. You know, I, I, I put so much work and I couldn't give it up. But I was doing a transformational course and uh, on called Team Management Leadership. So I was just in that space. And, you know, once I got that out of the way, it was like, well, what do you want to do? I want to make my film in Cuba. Great. By when, you know, by the end of the year. So, okay. So I started. Now, it took a bit longer than a year, but um, that's how it happened. Do you have a filmmaking background? No, no, not at all. I mean, I'm an electrical engineer. I'm ex-engineer. I, I work as a disability carer now. But um, I've done lots of different things over my time. Um, I did a, I did a week short course at Melbourne Uni some 20 years ago. That was about my effort of filmmaking. Well, it's learning. fascinating because it's a, it's a very um, uh, highly achieved documentary, I'd, I'd have to say. So how did you go about um, uh, setting out the plan? You, you've clearly got a plan. Well, well, the plan got developed over time, um, you know, and, and the production values have gone up over time so you know it's been four trips to make this film to cuba and uh i i really um you know i i have that idea that you can go and do anything go in naively and discover as you go you know so that was my plan and uh i took um with me max from melbourne a filmmaker and also uh punga who is my best mate but he's also a, a master cuban percussionist so off we went and uh i had uh 
my idea was probably to do a sort of a travel documentary. You know, I think that's, I was just, I just wanted to film the music and get involved. Um, and uh, look, it, it went from there. That, that first trip was in 2016. And uh, the second day I was there, Fidel Castro died, which, you know, um, so I just, I had my little crew, I was ready to film and, and there was nine days of mourning, no dancing, no music, no drinking, nothing, you know. Uh, so that was, that just, that was a bit of a breakdown because I had, I had travelled, I had planned to travel the island and do all this stuff, you know. Um, but look, it was great because what happened, instead of travelling the island, we, I did interviews in people's homes because they also weren't able to work and they were so gracious. And, uh, you know, I met some of these just legendary Cuban performers and it was just amazing. I, I, and so it sort of took from there and it gradually expanded from that. And um, I, get, I guess also because of your a musical background and because of your own personal interest, uh, there's quite a, an educative um, element to this film. I mean, I learned a lot about the different styles of uh, Cuban music and also what they mean. I love the um, the grandfather teaching the child um, the drum, <laughs> you know, the essential yeah. elements of the drum. The yeah, that's, Con that's Conrado. He's, he's like a brother to me, you know. He's, he's a really lovely guy and a great friend now. So, yeah, um, look, look, it is educational. Certainly I wanted to... I wanted to celebrate the music I wanted to show people the music um and and also you know these musicians they're so amazing and you know they're under they're understated in the world so you know they really want to get out there and, and get their music out so you know it really is a, it's an opportunity for them as well uh there's an undertone to the um documentary about uh the battle between the traditional and uh, what's become more popular. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Well, sure. Um, well, it's probably most countries of the world, you know, where, where modern music seeps in and the, the kids, you know, they want to do their reggaeton in, in, in Cuba. So, um, you know, us oldies, we love this traditional music, but in Cuba itself, it, it's hard for these guys to, to get appreciated, you know, because people just want the modern stuff. Um, and, you know, like the Buena Vista Social Club was obviously key in Cuba. That, and that was 25 years ago now when all that happened. So, um, you know, that's a beautiful film and beautiful music. But, but and, it also but happened because of Raikuda. Oh, oh, sure. Well, Raikuda was the catalyst. But, you know, that music was, was, has been there in Cuba all the time. Um, no, no, but they, they are aware that in order to promote, uh, raise, elevate the issue of the fabulous musicianship and the music itself, uh, it happened through a partnership with someone from somewhere else who could appreciate well, it. Well, definitely. Like I say, you know, Cuba's jam-packed with incredible musicians. Um, there's so much going on, and yet we, we know very little about what's going on in Cuba. And obviously, you know, it's Cuba. They don't have the, the opportunity to travel and everything else. So it's certainly, yeah, I mean, they really, they want the support, you know, they, they want to share their music with the world. So certainly Raikuda did that. I think the problem with um, the traditional music, though, is that, you know, Benavis is brilliant, but it's only a part of the traditional music. Um, and it's become an industry, you know, like uh, a lot of the uh, Cuban musicians, for example, in Altavana, 
they have a repertoire that has like 15 songs, which they actually have to play. They have to be expert at it. And they play them 10, 10 hours a day for five days a week, you know. So it, 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 there is more than just when it is as much as we love it, we, we need to expand. That, yeah. that sounds a little bit like a Australian pub rock. Everyone has to play Jimmy Barnes. Well, it's a bit like that, but it's actually formalised, I believe, in Cuba. Like, you don't, you know, if you're playing in Old Havana, you have to have a licence and this is the deal. They work really hard. Um, so, but, you know, there's just so much going on in other places in Cuba and, it's, it, you know, they, they just, the art in Cuba is amazing, not just music. So, you know, they're into it. Mm. And the title, Cuba, My Soul, really actually reflects that, doesn't it? It, it, it is. They actually talk about the music being their soul. Definitely. Oh, look, at, you know, they, it really is part of it. And it, it shows in the film and even in the, the, the music in the film, the lyrics are, are all showing how much they love it. And, uh, you know, I think that's what people really love about Cubans as well as that authentic, you know, that, that charismatic love of their, their culture that they have. Uh, we'll go back to that uh, argument about the new and the old. Um even by the end of the film, there is a kind of uh, generosity of spirit to both from both ends of that argument. Well, yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, you know, that, that this has been going on a long time in Cuba now. You know, travellers go to Cuba and all they hear is reggaeton, you know, <laughs> except in Old Havana. So, so um, you know, it has been going on for a long time, the new and the old. Um, and... You know, I, I want to embrace it all, definitely, you know, uh, and I think that's what comes out, you know, uh, let's not forget the old stuff and let's embrace the new and, and bring it all together. But but clearly, you know, a lot of these old traditional music styles, they're very, uh, well, they're complicated, they're very exact. So, you know, we don't want to lose that art. And I think that's one of the one of the things is to keep it to keep it going. Yeah. So you went there four times um, and over that period of time you must have, thought, uh, I've found out this, now I want to find out this. Is that how you built your film? Yeah, well, I had, I had been to Cuba a few times before the film, so I already had a sense of the place. But, um, look, that first year, you know, what happened, as I say, Castro died, so I didn't travel the island. So the second year I, I went back, I wanted to go to Santiago, which is, you know, there's so much music was born in Santiago, it's really important. So... So the second trip, you know, we covered more of the island and more music styles, which was great. Um, and then, um, you know, what I what happened is because I had these amazing um, people in my film, you know, um, and and as a music film, you, you need to have really good soundtrack. You know, I really wanted a high quality soundtrack, um, and so that's a challenge because uh, if it's pub, if it's copyright, you know, you don't you can't just use it. So I had to. So what I did is invited all these uh, great performers to do some concerts and bring their own original music. And so that's why the film has these people interviews and then you'll see them in the actual concert singing and, and playing. Um, and it was great, you know, and the, for the Cubans, they actually really loved it. It was quite special for them because um, they often don't get to play with each other, you know, they're in their own band. And, and uh, so it really was pretty cool. Yeah, that, that is quite remarkable. Um and so uh, the uh, you've got an opening sequence and you've got a an ending sequence that was important. You, it's kind of theatrical almost. Tell me about that. Well, you know, I I wanted to make a 
like a, a bit like a music video. I really wanted to make a film where you you feel the rhythm, you feel like you're at Cuba, you know, like a, like a quite an arty sort of film like that. Um, that was my intention. But, you know, this is a team effort. And, and I had a, in Cuba, I, I had Pedro Polito, who was, is really the co-director, and, and Jessica Samanda was amazing producer that pulled it all together in Cuba. Um, so, you know, really it was just, it was Pedro's idea for that entry thing and, and all of that. Um, and we just worked together as, as a team, you know, pulling the best ideas forward. So a lot of the technical direction I, came from Pedro at that point, you know. Ah, right. Okay. So um, how did you find uh, working in a collaboration like that? Uh, well, look, you know, it, it's, it's been exciting. I mean, that's, that's, I guess, the challenge of making a film, you know. It, it, it is how to empower people and have them own the film as much as you, you know, like to get the best out of them and to have, you know, to have that sort of team. So that's why, for example, with Pedro, I said, listen, this is a story about Cuba from your perspective, not mine, so let's just go with that, you know. Um, but, look, it's been great, ups and downs, working with team, you know, and, and also along the way I've been discovering what works and what doesn't. Um, like anything, there's lots of people trying to take money and, and, and do a job for you, but, you know, you have to be clear on what you want and, and, and just organise all that. So, yeah, that's, that's probably the hard part, really. But, look, about, it was great. What Sorry. about the editing? Tell me about the editing. How did that go about? <laughs> Um, well, same story. It, it kept getting up. The, the first year I had a, a, an edit made, um, and but then I obviously went back and, and took more footage and, and it expanded. Um, uh, and then we did the concert. So, and really what happened is I, I left it with uh, Henry, the editor in Cuba, and, and Pedro. They had to go through all this footage, which, uh, you know, is in Spanish. My Spanish wasn't good enough to even understand it properly. Uh, so they sort of went through and, and we got the got a form out of that. But, um, you know, I tried to release it last year. I put it into a few festivals and it didn't get in. Um, and I just had to acknowledge that, you know, it was good but not good enough. And so we basically this last six, six months I've spent doing a re-edit with uh, Pete Pilly from Melbourne. And uh, that's really brought it up now to a whole other level um, and, you know, really... It's more cutting. It, it had an issue previously that the, you know, the story wasn't really clear and, and, and it didn't explain enough what was going on. So people weren't quite aware what it was. So now it's um, finely tuned and it's looking great. Yeah, I think so too. I was going to say, yeah, that's a very interesting um, development. Um, it is uh, finely tuned and it is uh, a, a really sweet film, I'd have to say. It, it right. achieves what you're aiming to achieve, great. I think. Yeah, well, I, I hope so. If people can leave dancing and, you know, appreciate this, this amazing music, it'd be great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're pleased that it's in the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, obviously? Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, I've been waiting, this, you know, just to get it out there and, and, and it's a big step to actually throw it now in the public and, and, you know, let's see what response I get. So certainly being a big investment over the years and, and so I'm pretty keen to see how it goes, but I'm, I'm certainly relieved that the job is done. <laughs> I can move on to the next. <laughs> well, you're a fairly remarkable chap to, you know, to start a project and take it through and learn all the things that you have to learn in order to get your message across in a film week way. Fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Well, you know, as I say, once, once I got it going, I sort of got stuck there. You know, that first trip, I was just 
blown away by these interviews I was getting. And so, you know, it, it kept going from then. And it gets to a point where you can't stop. You know, you have to finish the job, otherwise you've got nothing. So, yeah, it's great. Well, thank you for talking to me. So much? Okay. Yeah. Y la importancia enorme de la, de la cultura europea por los españoles, pero además por los franceses. cantante tenían que ser una voz potente. Pero todavía la música cubana no está gozando de esa salud. Esos ritmos foráneos han aplastado todo. Y el puente género, es música cubana. Eso, la música cubana es la bandera que nos identifica como cubanos. Trompeta sabrosa. Tristemente se ha perdido un poco. Ahora tratamos de recuperarlo. Hay que recuperarlo porque esa es la música nuestra. Esas son nuestras raíces. You're on Show Real with Annie, and uh, we're featuring some of the films that are showing at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. And we're finishing the program with another look at a musician, and this is part two. This is by Fiona Cochran, but we'll let Fiona describe what the film's about. It's a lovely film, part two. It tells the story of Pat Powell. Um, I must say that I didn't know about Pat Powell, and I feel like I should have. Yes, look, in fact, I was very similar too. I, I filmed for a previous film I made about the strange tenant, 
And because Pat was Jamaican and sang Scar and whatever, I interviewed him to talk about Scar, you know, and the history of Scar, etc. Got to know Pat in the process. But in fact, I also um, knew very little. Because he's Sydney, um, and we didn't get to see him as often um, over the years, um, I didn't know about him either. He's quite well known in Sydney, um, but not so much down here, although he does come down here quite a bit more these days because he also sings with Melbourne Scar Orchestra and the Scar Vendors quite often down here. Yeah, he's not just uh, well-known in Sydney, he's well-known internationally, which is really yeah. curious, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah. Now tell me, uh, part of this film, the reason for why it is so fascinating is, one, he's an incredibly interesting person, he's got a very interesting background, he's a very talented person, and so uh, he's performed for a very long time, and so there's lots of interesting pictures and all the rest of it. But you've made a decision as a filmmaker to intersperse his personal life in a way that's quite fascinating. Uh, how did that come about? Well, look, I, again, I knew nothing about that before we started the interviews. So... Um, you know, I was talking to Pat after we'd done the Strange Tenants film and we decided we'd try and make a documentary about him, but I didn't know a lot about him. So in the process of doing those interviews, I learned a bit about his, uh, well, obviously his background and his, his family, but, but also about his children. But it was really probably more when I went up to Sydney and started interviewing his friends and his children, and it's, initially it was mainly just his oldest son, Lamar, that it, it started the whole area of black and white and racial identity and all of those sort of things came up. Um, I mean, certainly there was, from the beginning, there was the understanding that really Pat had put his career on hold for his children. Once once he he wasn't actually with the partner, but once he got someone pregnant here, he made a decision to stay in Australia um, for his children rather than sort of pursue a higher-profile musical career overseas. Um, but then, you know, each of the children are really interesting in their own right. Um, so, yeah, we started sort of following that Past alongside his music, so not removing the music, but um, it's a, it's the more emotional story in there that goes alongside his music. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, I think that's probably. I mean, this this film Patu is uh, billed as a, um, a mu- musically focused film in the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, which is where it's going to be shown uh, soon. Uh, uh, but and it's in run in the running for um, you know best uh, musical focused film documentary. Um, but what's so fascinating about it is uh, one uh, he's so generous in uh, discussing how a person finds their voice as uh, as a singer because he had other strings to his bow as it were he made a decision so he talks about that which is must is totally fascinating for a person who wants to be a singer but the fact that you've actually uh it's it's almost like uh, the musical the stuff to do with music and the stuff to do with life is married 
and inseparable, which in fact would be the case. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And um, yeah, look, I found them both very interesting, but they are they are integrated because the decisions he made in his life affect his music all the way along the line. So the two go hand in hand. And I guess, um, so when you began this project, you were thinking you were making something about a, a musician. Uh, how, did, how did you decide, how did you deal with the greater story once you discovered it? Oh, look, it became quite clear once I started talking to family and friends that, that actually the, I won't say the more interesting because the other, his music stuff is obviously interesting as well, but that the certainly the more emotional side is related to his family. Um, and uh, look, and now I have to say that Pat was extremely generous at letting us pursue that as as we wanted to. He he gave me absolutely no um, instructions or guidance about what I was to do. He just said, "Yes, make a documentary," and um, and was completely open to however I chose to do it, which mm. was lovely. Well, I suppose you could say it was purient interest because he does really have very fascinating uh, relationships with his children and it's a, it's a um, poster child for diversity, isn't it? It is, absolutely. Yes, it is. And we, we, it was sort of filmed quite slowly because we had lockdowns in between <laughs> doing things. So we had to sort of wait for his daughter to be available after the first lockdown to come, because he's Sydney-based and his family is Sydney-based, to come down to Melbourne. And then we had to wait to pick up some other stuff after the second lockdown. So it's been a very protracted process just um, in doing that. But the wonderful part that came with that is that his third uh, child um, uh was then willing and had got old enough that she was willing to be interviewed. Yeah. Um, so they came down in uh, just late last year, and um, and that interview was done. So it was good to get to get the third child in there as well. And of course, you also get his uh, mother and sisters. Yeah. Well, we got her on the on the on the phone, but yes. Yeah, and his mother's absolutely gorgeous, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And um, very fascinating collection of uh, stills that you used. I mean, the whole thing is for, runs for about an hour, but I'll have to say that it's like a very rich brocade. Oh, very good. I'm very glad. <laughs> so tell me yeah. about handling these stills. Uh, look, well, we, look, we didn't have many to start off with, so I was constantly um, hassling um, Pat to try and say, no, we need more stills, we have to have more stills, we can't do without more. So we just sort of got got them from every source we could possibly um, find in terms of um, friends and work and other sort of things. Unfortunately, as with many musicians, you know, who um, are not highly famous and have a lot of money. Back in the 70s and 80s, there wasn't a lot of footage of them doing much. So we're sort of a bit short on early footage, but at least we had a few other stills and things to use with it. 
You know, it's amazing because uh, such a gifted uh, performer and uh, such a lovely performer and a person who's contributed to, uh, you know, big projects, in fact, it really tells you something about the uh, uh, gravitas of music despite commercial fame. But but you don't you don't survive financially as a musician. You know he's playing in fifteen bands at different times, and he still works as a care worker. In fact, part time to survive. Oh, it's fantastic! Great film. Mm. Thank mm. you very much for talking to me. Thank you. That's it for this week. Tune in next week for some more films and filmmakers on Showreel. <laughs> listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.